I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Would love for you to find Psalm chapter number 11. Psalm chapter number 11. This is a psalm of David. David wrote this song, this psalm. And as he wrote this psalm, I want to call your attention to verse number 1 uh, as I introduce a sermon that I am calling this morning Original Intent. It seems to be my yearly history lesson that I, I love to talk about. I love to talk about our founding fathers and how our founding fathers established this nation on Judeo-Christian principles. And it's very evident when you look at uh, our founding documents and you look at our founding fathers, while I cannot with surety point and say he was a Christian, he was not a Christian, he was a Christian, he was not a Christian, I can point to their writings, I can point to their words, I can point to their intent and what they originally intended in regards to the United States of America. So this morning, I want us to look at Psalm chapter number 11 and listen to what David said about God's love for righteousness. The Bible says in verse number 1, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. Let me say this parenthetically if I could. This culture hates Christianity. We're living in a culture today that is post-Christian. As a matter of fact, it is secular humanistic. They only care about themselves. It's not hard to distinguish Christians between secular humanists, which, by the way, has been clearly defined by the proponents of secular humanism that it is, in fact, a religion. There is religion being taught today. So, well, I just believe that this country needs to be in such a way that there's no religion taught. Secular humanism, which we say is not a religion, in fact, really is. It's a worship of self. And there's nothing more deprived than the human being. And the human being needs salvation. And that salvation is not found in secular humanist. It's not found in secular humanism. It's not found in religion in general. It is only found in Jesus Christ. But because the culture hates Christianity today, because the target is on your back as a born-again child of God, David knew this even in his culture. He says, you want us to flee up to your mountain, God, but the enemy has made ready his bow in private secret places to pull the, the, the trigger, if you would, or let go of the bow, and so the arrow could strike the heart of those that fear God, look at what he says in verse number 3. Here's the question that we wrestle with in 2022. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I love what David says. David, it says in the Word of God that we've got to make sure that we've got the right focus and we just know exactly where God is. David says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. You know what David's saying? Listen to me, church. David is saying, if it's over your head, it's under his feet. He can take care of it. 
God is not concerned. He is not worried. I'm telling you, God is the same today. He was the same yesterday. He'll be the same forevermore. His mercy endures. He's a merciful God. But I'm telling you, the judgment day is coming. But as for me and my house, we're going to continue to serve the Lord. The scripture says again in verse number four, he's in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. There's going to be tests. Peter said this over in First, in first Peter. Peter talked about the trials and the testing of our faith and how that we're going to go through these difficulties and go through these trials. Verse number five, he says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hates. I don't like it that the wicked are coming against us. I've got the wicked coming against me, and the Lord is testing my faith. Why? I'll tell you the reason why. Because he loves you. He loves you. The Bible says in verse number 6, Upon the wicked he shall rain snares of fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. David, what are you telling us today? David is simply saying, don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. I'm afraid today we have forgotten where we came from. Did you hear the story about a little boy who was in uh, class and he was regularly getting in trouble? They were studying the birth of America when the teacher asked him one day, Little Billy, who signed the Declaration of Independence? And little Billy wasn't paying attention over the past few days. He was playing with the kids around him and he looked and with concern in his eyes and he, he shook his head. He said, I, I don't know. And the teacher said, now, Billy, you better tell me who signed the Declaration of Independence. Little Billy looked up at him and said, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I promise, teacher, I don't know. And the teacher said, little Billy, listen to me. We've been going over this for three days. Who signed the Declaration of Independence? The boy just got right out mad and stood up and ran out the door. Uh, the teacher was so concerned, she called the father, and the father rushed right over and met him in the principal's office. And the dad sat down, Billy right there, the teacher right there, and the dad said, what happened? said, I don't know. I'm here. I'm asking you, what's wrong with Billy? said, I've asked him several times. I've been studying the Declaration of Independence, been asking questions all this time, and I asked him who signed the Declaration of Independence. He wouldn't tell me, and he ran out the door. He says, what do you, what do you make of that, the teacher said. Little Billy looked, looked up at his dad, and his dad looked down at little Billy. His dad leaned over to Billy and said, Son, if you sign that, will you please tell the teacher you did so we can get out of here? <laughs> that seems to be the general knowledge of our founders and of our founding documents. Ignorance. If you listen to the news coming out of social media today and tomorrow, you'll get all kind of crazy ideas about what our founders thought and the original intent of the founding of America. But in order for us to clearly understand, we've got to go back to the summer of 1787. That is 11 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. America was only 11 years old during this season. In Philadelphia, in the year of 1787, the sun beat down on that hot summer day, but it was not just the air that was hot. As the founding fathers looked around the room, they found themselves in a heated debate over the structure of the Constitution. As the delegates from each colony raised their voices to protect their special interests, 
Some got mad and left the room. With frustrations at their peak and tempers on edge, one lone statesman, a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin, turns to the president, George Washington, and begins to speak. Benjamin Franklin is the oldest statesman in the room, and as he stands, all eyes and ears are upon him. Listen to what Benjamin Franklin said to the people that day, those delegates. He said, and I quote, Mr. President, in this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hither once thought to humbly apply to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of this contest with Great Britain, we were sensible of danger. And we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard. And they were graciously answered. And have we forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth. That God governs the affairs of men. End of quote. Benjamin Franklin had a clear understanding of what made this nation great. We need to understand what he meant by those words. But in order to do so, we have to turn back the clock of time. And we must go back 246 years. You see, 246 years ago, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia to vote uh, on the Declaration of Independence. It was a document that was a public announcement to the world that the American colonies were declaring themselves free and independent states absolved from any and all allegiance to Great Britain and King George III. It was Thomas Jefferson's responsibility for drafting the document. By his own words, Thomas Jefferson said that he was not writing from originality. But he borrowed thoughts from the ancient Greeks, the Romans, the Bible, and the philosopher by the name of John Locke. John Locke once said, and I quote, The Bible is the greatest blessing bestowed by God on the children of men. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of its matter. It is all pure, all sincere, Nothing, uh, nothing too much and nothing wanting. Did you hear what John Locke said? John Locke, the philosopher, has had a bad rap through the history. If you were to listen to what people say about John Locke today, they would call him a secular humanist. But even if he's a secular humanist, you cannot ignore the fact that John Locke respected the Bible in such a capacity that he said that it was the greatest blessing that God had ever bestowed on the children of men. And as God the author gave us this book, John Locke, who some consider a secular humanist, said that the author gave salvation as the end of the Word of God. What does the Word of God preach to us? Salvation. 
That's the end. And the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man come to the Father but by me. In fact, John Locke even said in his own quote that it is without any mixture. It is truth without any mixture for its matter. Mixture of what? Mixture of error. John Locke was simply saying that the Bible is a book that we need to follow. Thomas Jefferson knew that this was the way that we needed to go. Thomas Jefferson recalls that his intention for the Declaration of Independence were to be an expression of the American mind. What is the expression of the American mind? That the Bible, the Word of God, is authored by God, and this Bible is God's truth. And this is how we ought to live. He also wrote and said that it is that the, that uh, we are to place before mankind the common sense of the subject in terms so plain and firm as to command their assent. Jefferson said, when I write this document, the Declaration of Independence, I want it to be so sure, so plain, so pure, so simple, so common, so easy that there is no question as to how this nation was founded. The Declaration of Independence states, and I quote, Men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the document it also states that these rights are self-evident as they constitute the laws of nature. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today and go on record and that pray that we hide this in our heart, that these principles that make up uh, the, the, uh, the Constitution of the United States of America and the Declaration of Independence specifically this morning, that these principles are taken directly from the Word of God. Let me show you what I mean. Number one, you think about the law of nature. The law of nature can be viewed in Romans chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. Paul in writing to the church at Rome says that even the Gentiles have the law written in their heart. He simply states that we as human beings know the difference between right and wrong. It doesn't take a baby long to figure out that they can get their way if they just fuss enough. Oh, listen, I'm a new grandpa. I'm so excited about being a grandfather. The one thing I love about being a grandfather more than anything else is spoiling my grandkid. Could I get a witness right there? If you're a grandparent and enjoy spoiling a grandkid, say amen right there. Mom and dad don't like it. But bless God, I love it. I love it. I love the fact that I can spoil that grandkid. But what's fascinating to me is it hasn't taken Raylan long to learn how to lie. Hadn't taken her long to learn how to lie. So what, what do you mean, preacher? i tell you what I mean. Uh, she'll be over there and crying, and you'll think something's bad wrong. And you go over there and pick her up, and she stops crying. Ain't nothing wrong with a diaper. She just got a full belly. Everything's wonderful. You put her down again and walk away. What does she do? She cries. What does she want? Her way. She just wants her way. There ain't nothing wrong with her. Diaper's not wet. She's not hurt. She's full of food. Uh, She's uh, uh, sleepy-eyed. But the fact of the matter is simply this. That baby knows 
that in order for it to get its way, it's got to lie. It's got to act like there's something wrong. Who taught that child that? Probably my, my kid. <laughs> no, the Bible is clear. The Bible tells us we were born sinners. We inherited that sin from Adam and Eve. The Bible talks very clearly about the law of nature, the law of nature that exists in Romans chapter number 2. The Bible also talks about the Creator. The, 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 the Declaration of Independence says men are endowed by their Creator. It seems that you find the Creator in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 as He created man. And as He created man, He is the Creator of man. It is God, not government, that grants liberty. And we see that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, as Paul wrote to the Galatians and said this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. The pursuit of happiness is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 13, where Solomon says this, And also that every man, uh, shall eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? What God has given us. Of the 56 signers, uh, five of them made up the committee that drafted the Declaration of Independence. They were amazing men. Men like John Adams of Massachusetts. John Adams of Massachusetts on July the 1st in 1776 spoke these words to the delegates of the 13 colonies. He said, and I quote, Before God, I believe the hour has come and my judgment approves this measure and my whole heart is in it, all that I have, all that I am, and all that I hope in this life. I am now ready here to stake upon it and I leave off as I began. To live or die, survive or perish, I am for the declaration. It is my living sentiment and by the blessings of God it shall be my dying sentiment. Independence now and independence forever. End of quote. It was John Adams who once said again, and I quote, The general principles of which the Father achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Oh, did you hear what John Adams said? Don't you dare listen to what's going on on social media today. Don't listen to the, to the turning, if you would, or the rewriting of history. Listen to what they said with their own lips. With his own lips, John Adams said, the general principles principles for which the fathers achieve independence were the general principles of Christianity. Benjamin Franklin again steps up uh, from Philadelphia at the time and he died in 1790. In 1790 he was quoted by a French journalist about a letter Franklin wrote to the French minister. Listen to what he wrote about Benjamin Franklin and I quote, Franklin often told his disciples in Paris that whoever should introduce the principles of primitive Christianity into the political state would change the whole order of society. What were the principles of primitive Christianity? You have to look not far, if you will, to find out what they are. The Quakers were very plain and very simple people. And this is what they said about the primitive principles of Christianity. Quote, God, through Jesus Christ, has placed a guide, that is the Holy Spirit, in each person to show them their duty. 
and, and has provided each with the ability to follow that guide. In every nation, race, and religion, there are those who follow this guide. These are the people of God. And those who live in disobedience to it are not God's people, regardless of what they say. This is the friend's ancient first and unchanging principle. This is the testimony that Benjamin Franklin testified to those that were in France as he was the French minister there from the United States. He went and he talked and he said that the general principles of Christianity are those principles that can change the whole world. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that if we want this world to change, we've got to get back to the proclamation of the Word of God and show our culture and our society that our founders meant what they said, that God is a God that blesses those nations whose God is the Lord's. Roger Sherman from Connecticut. Roger Sherman was a fascinating man. Roger Sherman's pastor was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards wrote one of the most powerful sermons that I've ever read, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Roger Sherman, the man from Connecticut, in one of his speeches stood on the floor and he pointed out the necessity, and I quote, of admiring and thankfully acknowledging the riches and redeeming love and earnestly imploring that divine assistance which may enable us to live no more to ourselves but to him who loved us and gave himself to die for us. You see, Roger Sherman stood on the floor that day and speaking to the 13 colonies simply said this, it is our responsibility to thank and to praise God for his protection, his provision of Jesus Christ, and thanks be unto God who loved us enough that sent his only son to die on Calvary's cross for our sins. I can't help but think about another signer of the Declaration of Independence, a man by the name of Robert Livingston. Robert Livingston was from New York. And on March the 16th, 1776, as recorded in the Journal of Congress, presented a resolution which passed without dissent. What was the resolution? He resolved, and I quote, We earnestly recommend that Friday, the 17th day of next May, be observed by the colonies as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. That we, uh, that we uh, may... With the united hearts, confess and bewail our manifold sin and transgressions. And by sincere repentance and amendment of life, appease God's righteous displeasure that through the merits and meditations of Jesus Christ obtain his pardon and forgiveness. What in the world did Robert Livingston want from New York, mind you, what did he desire for the United States to be? A place that clearly understood that Jesus is the only one that can forgive our sins. A place where we come together in a time period where we confess the sins of our nation. Oh, brothers and sisters, I submit to you today 
And I would like to go on record to say that God has a righteous displeasure against those in America who only want to satisfy their self. And we must confess and bewail our manifold transgressions that God would hear our prayer and heal our land. I can't help but think about Thomas Jefferson, again, a man from Virginia, who, by the way, our nice city of Jefferson over here is named after Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson once stated, and I quote, he said, I have little doubt that the whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our Creator, and I hope to the pure doctrines of Jesus also. What's the pure doctrine of Jesus? The pure doctrines of Jesus is that He is the Messiah, that He went to Calvary as a sinless Son of God and died on Calvary's cross. And on the third day rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave so that you might have eternal life. The true, pure doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ is simply this. Unless you come to Christ, you will die separated from God. Patrick Henry from Virginia worked as a criminal attorney. And he is known for his brilliant oratory skills. He feared that the Constitution's overreach and helped spirited along the adoption of the Bill of Rights. He served as the first governor of Virginia and also the sixth. Uh, He was fearful of both the spread of atheism, but he was also afraid of the spread of deism towards the end of his life. Him and his wife, Sarah Shelton, had six children. After her death, he married another lady, Miss Dorothy Dandridge, and they had 11 children. This man had a quiver full of kids. I want you to listen to the words that he said as he thought about the children, his children, and the generations that were coming after him. He said, and I quote, I cannot, or it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that reason alone, people of other faiths have been afforded the freedoms Or the freedom to worship here. Did you hear what he said? He tells us very clearly from his own lips. He says the reason why people have had the freedom to worship here in America. Is because this nation was not founded by religionists. But was by Christians. Not on religions but on the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. And then he turns and says this about the Bible. He says, and I quote, This book, the Bible, is worth all the books that ever were printed. And it has been my misfortune that I have never found time to read it with the proper attention and feeling till lately. I trust in the mercy of heaven that it is not too late. 
David said in Psalms chapter 11. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Is it too late? That's the question. That's the question for our country. Is it too late? I call your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. In 2 Corinthians 6 2 the Bible says this. For he saith, I have heard thee in thy time accepted. In the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What did Paul say? Paul said it's never too late. It's never too late to come to Jesus. It's never too late to trust Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. It's never too late to recognize and realize that this nation, the United States of America, was built on the Word of God, the principles of primitive Christianity, the principles of salvation, the principles that set forth to the arena of the world that you can worship whatever God you want, but this nation fears God. Oh, brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, That if we're ever going to see this nation turn from its wickedness, we have got to turn to God. We need God in America again. Could we bow for prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. From the lips of our founding fathers who pointed to the word of God. Time after time after time looking at Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. I want to ask you a question this morning. If you were to die today, where would you spend an eternity? Sir, would you think about that question for a moment? Ma'am, would you, would you consider the question just for a little while? If you died today, where would you spend an eternity? Would you go to heaven? I've heard some people say, well, I, I think so. I've had others say, well, I, I hope so. And then I've had those to say, No, I don't think I would. There are those that I've come in contact with that would say, yes, absolutely, I do know where I'd go to heaven. And inquiring upon them, they always go back in some way, shape, or fashion, whether they know the verse or not, to 1 John 5, verse 13, where the Scripture says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Oh, it's very clear. John said it. People confess it. Yes, you can know you're going to heaven. You can know that you have a relationship with God. You can know by trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus has done all the work needed. He paid the price for your sin. And he simply extends his open arms of welcome and says, come. 
Would you come to Jesus? Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. I want to ask you this. Would you do this? Would you stop letting this culture and all the problems of your life, would you stop letting that hinder you from receiving Jesus? From your heart to God's, would you cry out to the Lord and say something like this to him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you as my Savior. And by faith, I trust you. In Jesus' name.